Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. Saving for your retirement. We talk to Greyledge advisors about what products are out there and why we all need to be taking retirement saving more seriously. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Retirement for many may be years away, but planning your financial future should start earlier rather than later. And according to figures from the U.S. government, not enough Americans are saving for retirement, and those that are don't know if the money they will get will be enough to keep them going in their golden years. Here in Connecticut alone, over 600,000 private sector workers have no employer-sponsored retirement savings plan, meaning they're assuming that Social Security will be sufficient to carry them through. But in this ever-changing world we live in, nothing is for certain, and with constant rising costs for basics like groceries, gas and energy, will you have enough of a retirement income to keep you going? I caught up with Scott Albracio, Senior Vice President of Greyledge Advisors, based here in Connecticut, to talk about saving for retirement and the options that are available. Scott, ever so many thanks for joining us. Oh, Brian, thank you for the invitation. We really do appreciate it. So we're going to be talking all about retirement, something that, um, you know, we're not very good at. And probably if you're younger, you're wondering, well, why do I want to be thinking about retirement? But why are we so bad at retirement planning? I think it's the uh, the fear of the unknown or not knowing enough about the underlying investments that we should be picking and choosing that really holds people back from getting involved with this. When we look at it on a national level, Federal Reserve came out with some statistics that indicated while 73% of the non-retired Americans have some sort of retirement savings, there's only a small subset that feel that their retirement plan is on track. So that's the first thing is, am I saving enough? How much more do I need to save to get to where I need to be at age 65 or 67? More locally here in Connecticut, we found that uh, more than 600,000 private sector employees have no employer-sponsored retirement savings plan at all. So between the federal government and the state government, there's this big realization that people don't have enough or don't have even have a plan to save for retirement. And I think it's that unknown. We deal with a lot of small businesses and those small businesses employ a lot of younger employees. One of the biggest hurdles, Brian, that they have is that if they do have a plan available, they're usually thrown into like a website. And it's sort of like a self-service model where you fill out your personal information and then you're given a list of like 35 investments that you have to pick and choose from. And it becomes overwhelming for a lot of participants at that point in time. They don't know what a large cap is, what a small cap is, what an emerging market is. So it's the language inside the retirement business that often becomes confusing to people and is a barrier to moving forward. 
And the other thing, of course, I suppose the point which you've made clear as well is that so many people, I think, in this country feel that Social Security is going to you know, help them out. But I mean, that's not a lot of money at the end of the day, is it? No, it's not. And, you know, I've, I've had almost 35 years in this industry and we've been saying Social Security is not going to be available or it's not going to be enough. And, you know, it, it's really not when we do a financial profile for somebody that wants to know what their retirement assets are going to be and we figure Social Security in. It's a very small part of their financial plan at that point in time. So we need to think about maybe in 30 years, Social Security not being there. And we've been saying that, by the way, for 30 years. Yeah, I can remember when I started out saying Social Security is not going to be there in 30 years. Well, here we are. Fast forward. It's still there. But we need as a a society to, to help ourselves rather than rely on the government to help us through our retirement time. Of course, we're also retiring at an older age now as well, aren't we? I mean, it used to be 65. And of course, we still can retire at 65. But many people are choosing to work longer, either because they want to or because of what we're going to be talking about today, because they don't have the finances to retire at that uh, that golden age of 65. You know, it's interesting to think about it. In one respect, people wanted to retire early 10, 15 years ago. Like I want to retire at 50 or 55. Today, we see people retiring at 72, 75. There's been this big switch in direction in retirement age. And, you know, one of the things that the, you know, I heard somebody say the other day on the radio, you know, 60 is the new 50 or 40, I think they even exaggerated to 40. And, you know, if you're that young and you have your health, yes, you want to enjoy your retirement, but you also need to be able to live a standard of life that you become accustomed to. That's when you look at your retirement savings and say, oh, you know, I could be retired longer than I actually work. Do I have enough money to make it through that? And do you think that part of the problem as well that is that a lot of people look at the markets because the markets are always up and down. I mean, we do have these extreme swings every now and again. But, you know, people look at the markets and, of course, you suddenly hear the media and the media don't help out the situation either when they go, oh, if you've got a 401k, you know, you probably just lost 10 or 15% off your 401k. Does that scare a lot of people? Yeah, it does. You know, it's the shock value of the media at that point in time. One of the things that as an investor you need to be comfortable in is that these, especially retirement assets, are not what we consider short-term investment horizons for the most part, right? Unless you're in your 60s and are looking to retire in the next three to five years, then you may have some concern if you're in this market right now because your value is down. But historically, what we see the markets do is, like you indicated, go up and down on a regular basis. And what I'll tell somebody that's in their 20s and or 30s, they will see at least three to four of these market cycles go through before they retire. Don't panic. And what we suggest is people hold the course and buy into these dips, if you will. And we're a big proponent of dollar cost averaging, which is what if you're in a traditional retirement plan, you're contributing on a per pay period basis, weekly or biweekly, you're automatically dollar cost averaging into your investment, which what does that mean? I have a fixed dollar amount going into my investment. What's the variable? Well, it's the share price or the price per share that I'm paying. One pay period, it may be high. The market's up on that particular day. The next pay period, it may be down. When it's up, you buy less shares. When it's down, you buy more shares. And ultimately, if you average that out over the course of a period of time, you're averaging your cost per share down. 
So that's an advantage that people have when they get involved with the retirement plan is that they can dollar cost average and don't worry about it. If you've got 10, 15, 20 years to retirement, you're going to go through these cycles and do not panic, stay the course. The worst thing that an investor can do, be it in retirement or in wealth management, is panic and sell low because that locks in your losses and you're jeopardizing the future growth or the bounce back in that particular investment. If you go to a cash position when the market's down, nine times out of 10, you're going to miss getting back into the market. And there are so many statistics out there about market timing and trying to get back in once you've gotten out that you give up a lot of your gains going forward after you've gotten out. Clearly, people really should be speaking to somebody like yourself, a financial expert, because organizations like yours obviously can look at many different plans and obviously give people the best advice. Because I think, you know, really, if we're just looking, and we're going to be talking about one in particular in a moment here in Connecticut, it's a great new service that they're offering, but obviously, and they admit themselves, obviously, as they have to in the in the small wording sort of thing, that it's only one type of plan. I mean, really, you need to be talking to somebody like you to so that you can understand what it is that those people's aspirations, hopes and dreams are for retirement so that you can give the best advice. Yeah, you've hit the nail right on the head with that. There are a number of different opportunities out there for employers to offer plans to their employees. And one of the advantages that, that Grayledge has is we have very small plans and we have larger plans. We specialize in, the, in what we call the micro to mid-sized market probably about, you know, up to about $10 million of, of assets. Just as recently as yesterday, I was talking to a small employer. They've got five employees and we looked at the three basic type of plans that they can, they can establish for their employees. The first one was a simple IRA that is sponsored by the company. And that really is just, if you picture the simple IRA as the umbrella, the master plan, if you will. And then each individual participant has an individual brokerage account underneath that. And with that, they can defer their salary up to this year is 14500 plus there's an extra kicker if you're over 50 into an investment account. Now, that investment account is a, is a brokerage account, and we as the registered investment advisor have picked the funds that they should invest in. So we put these models together that they can either choose a conservative, balanced, growth, or aggressive model. And then what we do, and, and this is the difference, Brian, between you know logging onto a website and actually having an advisor available, we'll sit down either via Zoom like we're doing here today or on a face-to-face -face basis, and we will talk to the individual participants about what we call in a business suitability. What's suitable for you as an investor? What's your time horizon? What's your knowledge of the markets itself? What's your net worth? What's your risk tolerance? Do you listen to the radio every night? If you listen to the radio or TV every day and watching the market go up and down, you know, even if you're young, maybe an aggressive model is not appropriate for you. So we would back you off and we probably suggest you go into a growth model. It's a little bit more stable compared to an aggressive, but it's that one-on-one -on -one consultation. Now that one-on-one -on -one consultation transcends not only the simple IRA, but what we call a 401k brokerage account. 
Whereas that's more of a formalized plan. You have a higher limit that you can contribute. You can go up to 20500 for this year into that plan. And that actually, you, you as a business owner would file a 5500 report with the IRS indicating that you have a plan and you're making contributions to it and whatnot. And then there's the third uh, leg of the stool, if you will, which is more of that all-inclusive plan, which is a 401k plan that sits on what we call a record keeper. That record keeper gives access to the employees to wonderful sites that are able to uh, do calculations on how much you need for retirement time. They have educational modules on if you're a first-time home buyer, you want to take a loan out. They will talk to people about their modules about social security. So it's an educational tool as much as it is an administrative tool that is available. So three phases and each one the simple, as you can understand, probably is the employer. You have the most amount of work that you have to do because it's really a bare bones plan. It's you know much like this the, the Connecticut CT Savings Program here. It's a trip down version, not a lot of whistles and bells on it. And then you move into a brokerage 401k and then or a record keeper, which is considered that your full service type of plan. Talk us through a little bit more about these various IRAs. They've all got their pros and cons, haven't they? Depending on, as you were saying, what I suppose your thoughts of risk are, also how much money you've got. And I'm guessing also what age you're at as well, because I suppose the later you leave saving for retirement, the more clearly you're probably going to have to pay in, but you're going to have to make sure you've got that right plan that allows you to put in maybe, you know, like some heavy contributions to make sure you get something at the end of the day. That's the uh, the financial analysis end of the conversation we have with more with the business owners because they could use this as a tool to help shore up their retirement account. But let, let's start from the basics like you had just mentioned. The first is a, a simple IRA and that is a group plan. You know, we usually run that about one to five or six employees, right? Very simple, easy, and basic. The only investment feature that's available there in terms of uh, the type of plan, it's it's always a pre- simple IRAs are always pre-tax accounts. So everything that goes into there is pre-tax, meaning you will pay taxes when you start withdrawing the proceeds at retirement time. So that's one. A SEP IRA or simplified employee pension is great for a one or two person business that is looking to maximize or increase their contributions because the SEP IRA rules are 25% of salary up to a certain level. And that I'm sorry, I apologize, but that level escapes me right now. But you, it's 25% of your income up to a certain level, no more than say $50,000 that goes into that plan. With a SEP IRA, you can formulate that to be either pre-tax or post-tax dollars going in. So you have a little bit more flexibility. And when I say post-tax, I'm referring to a Roth type of account. So the biggest difference that you have between a pre-tax savings and a post-tax savings is the pre-tax that we've been referring to, you're accumulating interest in that account on a tax-deferred basis. Meaning that, like I said before, when you reach retirement age and you start withdrawing it, you'll pay taxes at, at your then current taxable rate, which we hope that is lower than what your taxable rate is while you're working. And hope is not a plan, by the way. So um, just keep that in mind. They come up with this Roth IRA or Roth type of investment, which takes post-tax dollars. So you paid your health insurance, your dental, uh, your vision, all of your expenses, all of the benefits come out upfront. You pay your taxes to 
Uncle Sam and your, your local state government, and then you're left with a net amount of money. The money that is net to you can be invested in a Roth IRA. So it's already taxed going into the account. Here's the kicker. Unlike the pre-tax, the Roth is tax-free at withdrawal age 65 or retirement time. So you have this whole accumulation of compounding interest that's taking place in this account that you're going to be able to withdraw at retirement time tax-free. Nobody okay. likes to pay tax, do they? If they, <laughs> no, no but, but remember, the government's always going to get theirs. It's a matter of are we getting ours up front with the Roth? They're getting theirs up front. Are we going to get it on the back end, which is, you know, you're going to be paying taxes on the accumulation that's in that account. The other thing to bear in mind is what you think your tax liability might be at retirement. So if you think that you're going to be paying less tax than one's going to work for you, if you think you're going to be paying maybe a higher rate of tax, then maybe to be that's a different scenario, I'm guessing. And again, this is a conversation that you need to be having with somebody like you, you know, a professionally qualified financial advisor who can obviously talk you through those. Correct. Because there are iterations of it when they came up with the retirement savings plans, qualified seemed to be the best alternative because what they were trying to do is give employees the ability to decrease their current taxable base. So when you get up into a higher income level, you're always looking for ways not to have to pay as much in taxes. Well, this is a great way to do that. You defer some of your income off to a 401k. So you have the tax savings that you're uh, receiving at that point in time. And then the money that goes in there is tax qualified until retirement time. So yes, the thought process when they developed this was that decrease your base salary by making a pre-tax contribution. Well, things have sort of changed out there. And, you know, one of the questions that we talk to our younger investors about is, do we know what the tax code is going to be like when you retire in 35 years? And the answer is no, we don't. So given that, and given the fact that a lot of the younger people are, are in a, a lower tax bracket to begin with, is there an advantage there to just start contributing to a Roth type of investment and then as you progress through your working career, you can have both accounts. You can have a pre-tax and a post-tax account. So it will grow with you, but it's a matter of being able to sit down and talk to somebody to figure out what's the best solution for you. And the other thing I should mention as well is obviously people who are self-employed. I mean, again, that's very important for them to make sure that they're securing their financial future. And of course, all of these plans that we're talking about in one way or another can also be accessed by people who are self-employed as well. Oh, yes, by all means. We have a, a, the same type of investment structures or plan designs are available for self-employed people as there are for companies that have, you know, anywhere between five to 500 employees or 5,000 employees. So there is a solution. We find the SEP IRA for those individual sole proprietors works out very well in that particular type of situation. Very quickly, I want to touch upon this new thing here in Connecticut called My CT Savings. Just talk to us very briefly about what that is. Well, it's fairly new, but legislation was passed back in 2016, and they are just rolling uh, My CT Savings Plan out right now. As we started off the session that we were talking about, in Connecticut, there are 600,000 private sector employees who have no sponsored retirement savings plan. So the state sees this as an issue, and they wanted to get involved. And they got involved by creating this My CT Savings Plan. This is a plan that will be, let's put it this way, by the end of the first quarter in 2023, everybody will have to have 
some sort of plan if you have five or more employees. There is going to be a phase in to this. So it's not like your listeners have to drop everything they're doing and run out to do this. If you're an employer with 100 or more employees, you're in the notification period right now. And what that means is you would need to go out to the state website and certify that your company has a 401k plan or some sort of qualified retirement plan. From February to October, employers with 26 to about 100 employees will have to fill out that certification. And then finally, from April 2023, going forward, if you have five to 25 employees, you're going to have to register. So what happens if you don't have a plan? Well, my CT savings plan is an alternative option for you as an employer. There's very little administration that goes on in your part. So if you go out to their website and say, no, I don't have a plan, and you are not opting to find an advisor to set a plan up for you, what you're going to end up doing is providing the state with a list of your employees, and then they will be contacted by the state to sign up for this MyCT savings plan. And the plan really starts off as a, a, a basic contribution. It's going to be, when you sign up, you're automatically going to have 3% of your pay deferred into a retirement savings account. Now, there is this 30-day opt-out period that the employees have to say, hey, no, I don't want to save 3% of my salary. They can save nothing. They can opt out completely or they can reduce their contribution. But there has to be an action on the participant's part. Once they have opted out or once they have made their contribution, then within 60 days, that money will be invested into what they consider a target date fund. Target date funds are what date do you plan on retiring? 20, 40, 45, 55, 60, 65, what year? The monies that you are saving from my CT savings plan will go into one of these target date funds unless you go to the website and start picking out your own individual investments. And this is where the, the conversation comes full circle. We started out saying one of the biggest barriers for people to start saving is they don't understand what's available to them in terms of investment options. Is a target date fund the best option? No, but it's a great deferral option if, if you don't make a decision. What we would suggest is that in lieu of doing that, you customize a plan for your employees and you take advantage of the advisor's knowledge and expertise in the market to help counsel and guide your participants to a better retirement outcome than they could do if they're just doing it on their own. Well, Scott Albracio, Senior Vice President of Grey Ledge Advisors based here in Connecticut. Thank you for helping to simplify some of the retirement plans and options that are out there for us. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for joining us on Connecticut East this week. Brian, it's been our pleasure and we hope that uh, we've been able to provide some insight and that your listeners figured or found something out that they didn't know prior to listening to it. That's what we're trying to do here today. And if you want more information about retirement products and what's best for you, then visit Greyledge Advisors' website at greyledge.com. And remember, your retirement is for the rest of your life, and 15 minutes on a do-it-yourself website may not be your best option. So do yourself a favor and get professional advice. Looking for a fast, friendly, and convenient local pharmacy? Then try the Nutmeg Pharmacy Group with five convenient locations in eastern Connecticut. 
We're a full-service pharmacy supplying COVID vaccinations, prescription service, gifts, cards, and more, plus free local delivery. And it's easy to transfer to Nutmeg Pharmacy. Let us show you how. Find our contact details for our Higginham, Centerbrook, Moodis, Taftville, and New London stores online at nutmegpharmacy.com. Green Valley Tree LLC is proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week. Contact Green Valley Tree LLC for all your tree removal and plant health care needs and more. Find us at greenvalleytreeworks.com or call 860-234-4041. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently. The Connecticut Office of State Ethics has entered into an agreement with a New York-based company after they flouted state laws on gift-giving to the Connecticut Port Authority. Seabury PFRA LLC was fined $10,000 by the Ethics Office for multiple violations occurring in 2017 and 2019 involving Port Authority staff, their spouses and a board member. Peter Lewandowski is the executive director of the Office of State Ethics and said due to privacy issues, he's unable to say whether any further action may still be taken on the case against any individuals involved. If an ethics complaint was brought against a specific person, that person would be identified in a consent order if one was to be issued. So again, at this point, I cannot confirm or deny if there's anything else besides of what we've released. Kevin Blacker is a longtime critic of the authority and says it doesn't come as any great surprise to him. A little surprised at how long it took, and I'd call those gifts by another name of what they are, which is bribes. Absolutely, there'll be more to come. There's the Attorney General investigation, the ongoing federal investigation, the Contracting Standards Board has still has the stance that the public-private partnership entered into at State Pier was illegal. Seabury was fined for providing tickets, accommodation, as well as food and drink as they attempted to gain additional contracts from the authority. David Kouros, the current chair of the Port Authority, said in a written statement... This is an unfortunate reminder of issues that occurred under prior leadership at the Port Authority. Under new leadership beginning in late 2019, with the assistance of the Office of Policy and Management and outside auditors, the authority updated its ethics policies and all employees and board members now receive annual ethics training and certifications. Seabury LLC is also currently part of an ongoing investigation by the Connecticut Attorney General's Office over a half a million dollar success fee they were paid by the Port Authority for finding Gateway to become the new harbour management company for New London's State Pier. State and local legislators met in New London recently to applaud life-saving provisions in the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act that strengthens protections for survivors of domestic violence. Megan Scanlon is the president and CEO of Connecticut Coalition Against Domestic Violence and said with everything happening recently with women's rights being taken from them, this legislation couldn't have come at a better time. So to be able to say you're going to have these protections regardless of whether you're married or have children or living with a partner, recognizing that most instances of domestic violence happen through dating, and they happen when women are primarily in their teenage to young young adult years when dating is, is most prevalent in their lives. Survivors of domestic violence are five times more likely to be killed if their abuser has access to a firearm and affects more women than men. Anthony Nolan is a state representative for New London as well as a current serving police officer. He said the $750 million in the act is a good start, but when it comes to curbing gun violence in particular, more still needs to be done. Though this is very great, 
it may not stop a lot of the shootings that we want to stop, especially our school shootings. So I'm hoping that, you know, more funding will become available federally and from the state that will help provide the schools with even some greater funding mechanisms to try and help close that loophole when it comes to the protection that we need in our schools. The new legislation amends the federal dating loophole, making it more difficult for people convicted of domestic abuse to own a gun and incentivizes states to pass red flag laws that Connecticut has had since 1999 that keeps deadly weapons out of the hands of dangerous individuals. In the Connecticut Examiner this week, restaurants and entertainment venues, mixed-use housing, a four-season recreational park and a pedestrian bridge that connects Main Street with the Connecticut River. These are pieces of Middletown's master plan for the riverfront redevelopment which the city revealed recently. Mayor Ben Florsheim told community members that this was not a final design plan but rather a guiding document that would be used to establish zoning regulations and to make sure that any construction or architectural plans lined up with what the community wanted. In November 2020, voters approved a $55 million bond that included $5 million for redevelopment of properties along the waterfront. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 